Welcome to Healing Voices Project, where we share stories of addiction, grief, recovery, and courage. And also from people who work every day in the field of substance abuse who discuss their experiences and advice. I'm Mike Torville, your host. Thank you all for joining us. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us again uh, at Healing Voices Project. This is episode three, and uh, welcome again. If you haven't joined us, uh, feel free to visit the website, healingvoicesproject.com. And each week, we bring you a different guest, sharing different perspectives, and it could be a person who's gone through addiction, sharing their story of recovery. It could be a parent, public official, or sometimes... um, people from law enforcement. And our guest this week is a retired, decorated um, police officer from Arizona, originally from California, Keith Notek. Um, Keith is uh, has a very interesting story because he's been a police officer. He was a police officer for 30 years, retired in 2015. And uh, he's got a very compelling story, and so much so that uh, a couple years ago, Keith wrote a book called From Sorrow to Amazing Grace, One Cop's Journey. And that was uh, got the attention of a movie producer at JC Films, and it's now being turned into a movie called One Cop's Journey, and that's going to be coming out soon. We'll keep you posted on that. Um, and through our website, HealingVoicesProject.com, we'll uh, send out some updates and when that movie is actually released. So uh, we'll get to Keith. Um, Keith, thanks for joining us and your willingness to Share your story with us here at Healing Voices. Thanks. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Thank you for having me. Sure. Well, I know I gave a quick little 10-second uh, inter- you know, intro for you, but if you want to give us a little bit about um, yourself in the context of your uh, career, where you are now, and then we'll dive into your story. Sure, sure. <clears throat> um, well, um, first of all, a uh, uh, husband to Lily, father to Alexandra and Amanda. I'm a child of God. Um, I'm a close friend to just a handful of folks and uh, a servant, a leader, a retired police officer, as you already had mentioned. I'm a veteran, uh, part-time lecturer at Northern Arizona University, and there's probably some other hats that I'm leaving out, but that's uh, pretty much it in in a nutshell. Um, Looking back at all the things you're doing now, do you ever wonder how you ever squeezed in a full-time job? I do. I do. <laughs> Sometimes uh, it, it, it truly does. I used to hear the, the, the old retired guys, old, listen to me, the old retired guys, mm-hmm. uh, of which I am one now. Yeah. And uh, they used to say the same thing. Oh, man, now that I'm retired, there's not enough time in the day to get things done. I'm busier now than when I was working. And it's really true. I've I've taken on so many different uh, things mostly in volunteer organizations, and uh, yeah, it keeps me pretty darn busy. <laughs> and you you mentioned your children, and and how old are your children now? Uh, twenty nine and twenty six. Okay, wow. Yeah, wow. I have one in uh, northern Nevada and one in Southern California. Okay, and you just paid a visit to your daughter in Southern California, didn't you? I did. Yeah, she. Uh, she beat me at golf. 
<laughs> that girl and that's my youngest daughter she can she can whack a ball it's uh-huh. amazing uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well that's good now you just got back i think a day or so ago back in arizona correct yeah, yeah a couple yeah. days ago yeah so what i mean you, you your days are pretty full so thanks again for for joining us um and i know you do a lot of speaking and um i i know your story um certainly in the book, in the movie, and if you want to give a, you know, how, what evolved with your career, and I know that led to alcohol and the issues with that, but uh, tell us how, how things progressed uh, when you were a police officer and what occurred afterwards. Absolutely. Um, you know, when they say that alcoholism, I have several isms, but one of them is alcoholism, uh, you know, it, it truly is a progressive disease. It, it sneaks up on you and it'll, it'll take your soul if you allow it to. Um, you know, over a 30-year uh, long and sustained period in law enforcement, I experienced a lot of uh, trauma. Um, and it wasn't just one particular incident. It was um, cumulative stress, cumulative trauma that happened over you know, a period of three decades, Uh, you know, uh, for instance, in 97, I was involved in in a shooting and uh, one of my uh, deputies was killed. I was a brand new supervisor. I was, uh, you know, out in the field learning how to do my new job as a sergeant. And we went to a domestic violence call, got into a foot chase of the suspect um, in a field behind a church, he started shooting at us. Um, my deputy, uh, Randy, was hit. Randy Jennings, um, I think it's important to mention his name. Uh, he was hit five times, um, mostly in the front panel of his bullet resistant vest, uh, but the fatal round penetrated just above, well, below the neckline and above the sternum. Um, by the way, how, how close was he to you when he got shot? You know, we, we became um, work friends. We really developed a bond and a, and a good relationship. Um, I, I had heard um, from him that he, he didn't know how I was going to do as a supervisor because one day we're working together as deputy sheriffs. You know, we're doing the same job and then I get promoted and then I come back out into the field and, and I'm his supervisor. It's like this this magic thing, you know, this mystical thing. It's like, okay, you're a boss now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, he said that uh, he was surprised that I didn't, well, I don't know if he was surprised, but he was glad that I, I didn't let it go to my head, mm-hmm. you know, having a little extra authority, I guess you could say. Right. Uh, but yeah, Randy was a, just a fantastic, solid uh, individual. He was solid as a man and, and as a police officer. Um, so, you know, 30 years of this stuff, um, you know, experiencing, you know, at one point in my career, I was a detective sergeant. So I went out on all of the the homicides and, um, you know, uh, suspicious death calls, saw a lot of, uh, uh, deceased children, spouses, um, you know, horrific, car crashes with just, you know, carnage and, and a lot of that stuff, you know, that no person should, should have to see. Um, although 
I got desensitized to a certain degree, I had those images burned in the back of my brain. So um, I'd handle whatever situation was thrown at me on the job. Um, and um, it served me well, you know, putting on the facade of, you know, <laughs> I don't have any emotion. Mm. Uh, but then I'd get home and I'd have just a breakdown, you know. Um, so pretty soon um, I began to self-medicate with alcohol. Um, you know, at the time when I went into law enforcement in the mid uh, 80s, there was a certain stigma uh, that uh, if you were having issues uh, or a hard time dealing with some of these traumatic events, if you sought help, um, you were a wuss. Mm -hmm. You know, you were uh, labeled as weak. And, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to follow a, a weak leader into, you know, the heat of battle, so to speak. Um, so I put on a facade. It's like, well, I can't, I can't seek psychological help um, because if word gets out, I'll be weak. I can't get on psych meds because psych meds, you know, they'll, they'll alter my mind. And if word gets out that I'm taking some kind of uh, medication, um, that that's even worse. Mm -hmm. So the police officers of the day, a lot of them who were struggling, they reached for the bottle and that's exactly what I did. It's, uh, it's inexpensive. It's legal. It's convenient. You go down to the store, you buy a bottle, you know, um, and, and you drink it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I had been involved in several, critical incidents, um, you know, and the term critical incident today, it's like a buzzword in, in law enforcement. Uh, um, when I first started, there was no such word, but it can be anything, an officer involved shooting, you know, an incident where there was traumatic death involved, uh, that type of thing. I experienced a lot of crit critical incidents in my career. And then eventually I would have uh, uh, these nightmares um, that would wake me up. So I wasn't sleeping. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't get to sleep because my mind was always a buzz with the ping pong balls bouncing around in my mind. Um, you know, and then sometimes I'd fall asleep and then I'd hear gunfire in my, in my sleep, in my dreams night, I'd have nightmares and I'd wake up. So, you know, what's a quick and convenient and easy way to quash that dull it with alcohol. Mm -hmm. So, I started drinking so that I could sleep. I mean, we all know how important sleep is to one's health and mental health. Um, so that's that's what I did. And then, as I stated earlier at the beginning of the podcast, alcoholism is a progressive disease. Um, and it sneaks up on you. And that's what happened with me. At one point, I thought, well, you know, this isn't normal. You know, um, trying to dull my senses with alcohol to go to sleep. It's not normal. People don't generally do that. And then I, I told myself the lie in my mind. Oh, I can quit at any time. I just need a little more so that I, I can, you know, get over the hump to take the edge off. And pretty soon um, it became cyclical. Um, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress um, and depression and 
it's it's cyclical the the post-traumatic stress exacerbates the drinking and vice versa Mm -hmm. so um that was the cycle for for about 10 years and um you know, it, it brought me to the brink of, of self-destruction. You had to hide it during those 10 years, or at least to a large degree. Did you drink publicly, or was it a hidden habit? It was the hidden thing. Um, you know, I started out as a social drinker, like most people, um, where I could have a glass of wine and, and enjoy it. It was when I started abusing it, when I was using it as a sort of medication mm-hmm. um, that's where it got me into trouble yeah um, so as those experiences took their toll and like you said it progressed from like a social drinking and then you tried to drink more to put yourself to sleep and you said it, it exacerbated the problem but you didn't know it and of course you're not the only police officer who was dealing with those types of issues in the PTSD no, not by not by a long shot yeah. um, and I'm sure there's others that dealt with it differently. Again, if they were facing the same type of perception or stigma, they'd want to hide it as well. So I would think that uh, you had company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, you know, there are more than a handful of guys that, that do what I do now, mm-hmm. uh, police officers or former police officers who had experienced trauma and or issues with alcohol. And, uh, you know, we talk to law enforcement agencies and do interviews and and we talk about our experiences. And when, you know, I began my healing journey, I realized, you know, hey, I'm not the only one. Because when you're deep into that depression and you have these traumatic uh, images burned in your brain, you know, you think you're the only one at the time yeah. when you're going through it. And and that's what I thought. And um, when I wrote the book and I started, you know, connecting with people on social media and a lot of them do the same thing that I do. Um, it's like, wow, I'm not I'm not special. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a lot of other guys and gals out there who've experienced similar circumstances. What does make it special um, is the fact that you stepped up and said, you know what, I'm going to make this public. Because a lot of people don't have the courage to do that. A lot of Amen. people don't say, you know, say, yeah, well, this is my private issue. Um, but the fact that you did, and knowing that hopefully your story can help a lot of other people, I think does make you special. <laughs> so, uh, Amen. <laughs> uh, now, this went on for, like you said, decades, right? Uh, yeah. Ten it, years it, it anyway. Really, yeah, it went on for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end of my career, it just got really bad. Uh, but by my 25th year in, in the profession, I was just done. Um, there was nothing left emotionally um, to give, yet I still had five years to go until I could retire and receive my pension. And, you know, I just kind of uh, hung on. Mm-hmm. Um, I hung on with both hands. I did my job. You know, I think uh, uh, most police officers will tell you that uh, we are adrenaline junkies. Um, So even though I'd go to work and I just didn't, I I felt that I was just tapped out. I still poured my all into it 
you know, you'd get the bank robbery alarm call, for instance, and it's like, oh, you know, the area that I worked actually happened to have, you know, a substantial amount of real bank robberies. And, um, and, so and the did, alarm, yep. Yeah. Yeah. This is in Southern California, correct? Correct. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. In Riverside County. Okay. And uh, so it's like, wow, this could be a legitimate robbery in progress. So, you know, the adrenaline spike would hit and I'd get to the call as fast as I could and uh, and would deal with it. You know, I still enjoyed that part of it. But uh, since I was in supervision and management, I also had to deal with um, the citizen complaints and the little um, staff projects that were handed down to me. Um, you know, my joy was being out in the field with my guys and gals. Um, everything else <laughs> was peripheral and uh, it was um, the unpleasant part of my job. Yeah. Now you've obviously made it to retirement despite the the hidden habit. Um, yes. And you retired in 2015. Uh, and what what changed after that? About a year before I retired, I realized, hey, Keith, you're drinking way too much. You know, you you could have a problem with this. Um, so I I did what in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, we call, I white knuckled it. I didn't work any kind of a program of recovery. I just stopped drinking. Um, and some days, you know, it was harder than others to, to abstain, especially on hard days, tough days. You know, it was difficult not to go to the old, you know, the old friend, uh, the bottle. Um, so, I, I made up my mind, you know, I don't want to be this old retired guy sitting around the house reliving the glory days, you know, drinking myself into oblivion. So I, I stopped. But, you know, unfortunately, life happens, you know. And again, I'm not special. <laughs> uh, you know, I experienced a lot of death. Um, you know, my my dad passed away after I retired six months after he died. My father-in-law passed away. Um, I had several very close personal friends die. And I just felt like everyone was abandoning me. It's like, you know, all the people I care about, they're, they're dying off, you know. And then uh, one, one incident, one of, uh, one of our deputies' wives, um, from my old agency, his, his wife was a Palm Springs police officer. Um, and she, uh, Leslie Zarebny, and she was shot and killed in the line of duty two weeks after returning to work after maternity leave. Um, so that one sent me over the edge, you know, and I finally reached for the bottle again because, um, you know, I was, even though I wasn't there, um, you know, I am an empathetic person. And I just, I, I felt for Zach, the husband and, you know, reach for the bottle again. And then, um, shortly after that, uh, a close friend of mine, Dan died. Um, so long story short, um, you know, after Dan passed away, I self medicated with alcohol. I found uh, myself locked up in jail for DUI. Um, uh, how did you get, um, the police stopped you? 
you were driving was in an accident? I crashed my car. It was an accident. So that was a big wake up moment for me, my, my come to Jesus moment. And I thought, you know, something has to change. Something has to give. I can't live like this any longer. I don't know what to do. That truly was my breaking point. That was my rock bottom breaking point. Um, and that's where a lot of people find uh, a real relationship with God, with Jesus. And uh, although, you know, my dad was a pastor, I grew up in a Christian church. Although I knew Jesus, I didn't really know Jesus. I didn't submit and fully surrender myself to him. I was still living my life according to my rules. I was still trying to run the show because a lot of police officers are, you know, we're type A individuals. We're used to being in control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I came to the the acute realization that uh, doing things my own way, it wasn't working for me. <laughs> so, so I submitted to, to Christ. Um, I learned about the four pillars of resilience, um, which essentially is, you know, dealing with the mental component of your life, um, the physical aspect, the social aspect. And then lastly, um, which gets forgotten about a lot of times, the spiritual component of my life because people are mental physical and spiritual beings but people have a tendency to forget about the spiritual side mm -hmm. so when these four components of your life if one of them if even one of them gets out of balance um you know all of the other areas of your life uh become out of balance they they suffer um because they work in congruency with with each other um like if I stop going to the gym, for instance, um, the mental aspect uh, is going to suffer because, uh, you know, we all know that working out's good for you. It's a no brainer. You know, it pushes oxygen to the brain and other places in the body. Um, uh, but it's also promotes very healthy sleep patterns. So if you stop going to the gym, you know, your, your sleeping patterns are going to get out of whack. You're not going to sleep well. And sleeping is incredibly crucial to your mental health. Mm. So that's how they kind of work in, in conjunction with each other. Um, you know, the spiritual component is, is huge. Um, with me, you know, I've learned to rely on God and submit myself to, to his will. I've learned to be still and not try to push my own agenda um, in my life and in other people's lives. That must be tough after all those years. Of, of, you know, it's re yeah. it's really not. Yeah, it's really not. Um, I was amazed at, at just the the peace and joy that I experienced um, almost immediately after fully surrendering and, and fully submitting. I you know learned a new way of life and made some lifestyle uh, changes. And um, it's been a real blessing. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of serenity, peace, and joy today. Um, of course, I should throw the caveat in there that not only did I have to deal with the alcohol, uh, you know, I started going to AA meetings. I got a sponsor. I worked the 12 steps and, um, you know, try to live by the 12 principles of, of the AA 
program, uh, but I also had to treat the post-traumatic stress. So I went to a therapist. I still go to a therapist, um, but early, early in my therapy sessions, I went through um, something called EMDR. I don't know if you've heard of that. No. It stands. It's an acronym for Eye Movement Desensitized desensitization reprogramming, EMDR. And uh, it was like a great weight had been lifted. I worked through all of my trauma and these unwelcome thoughts that I used to have by doing EMDR and then by continuing uh, with talk therapy with a licensed clinical psychologist after that. So I, I dealt with the post-traumatic stress, the alcohol, and, um, you know, if, if I'm meant to be, uh, you know, a, a good husband, father and friend and nothing more in life, I'm okay with that. You know, those are, that's an important calling too, you know, being a spouse, being a parent, being a friend. So yeah, I have a lot of peace in my life today. Um, I, had I known then what I know now, I would have uh, submitted a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty common if we if we only knew. Um, that's right. And and so this is what you went through privately, right? I mean, of course, in the beginning, yes. because it was something yeah, that you I, just did. What something turned to say? You know what? I've something prompted you to write a book and make it public and say I'm going to put myself out there. What what brought that on? You know, um, and, and people would think I'm nuts in, in the middle of a, you know, criminal proceedings uh, to, to write a book about, you know, what landed me in that hot water to begin with. But um, I started journaling. Um, I started writing down all of my character defects and the things that I needed to change. Um, and it was like I became acutely aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, that still small yet persistent voice um, that, that burns a hole in your brain. Uh, I became just acutely aware of what I needed to change in my life. So I, I would say I put pen to paper, but that's not true. I got on the computer and started typing these things out and then my wife said, hey, maybe you should uh, start journaling. And I thought, yeah, you know what? How did I, you know, how did I come from a middle-class conservative family with conservative Christian values? That's how I was raised and I have those beliefs. Um, how did I get from point A to point B? How did I land myself where I am today? So I had to go back from the very beginning and then um, I felt led uh, to write the book. Um, it was like God was, you know, that still small voice was compelling me, hey, write about your experience and this is going to help other people. And so my journal essentially turned into the book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that's how we ended up where, where I am today. You know, I, I think journaling itself is therapeutic right it is and and i think writing your story um certainly is with the intent to help other people but i'm sure you felt a, a great deal of therapeutic value in writing your book and journal absolutely it was very cathartic for yeah. me yeah. yeah yeah and and when you you did that you say okay um 
make this into a book. Now what? Uh, <laughs> you know, what do I yeah. do with it? How can this help people? Um, and, and then, so you you did that. It was what twenty nineteen. Just a couple of years ago, uh, it was it was the book was released in May of uh, 2020. 2020, okay. Um, but the reward for me, the greatest reward, was the feedback um, privately that I've received from people who have read the book. Um, some veterans, some former police officers, and they said, "Hey, your story is my story. Um, I really identified with it." You know, I'm going to seek help for my issues. I've had the same issues. I'm going to seek help. I'm going to make some changes. And and that was the reward uh, for me. Mm. Um, I didn't do it to make money because, quite <laughs> frankly, you, you're you an author. You wrote, you know, several books. You're not, you know, if you write a, a book uh, with the intent of getting rich, it's never, you know, it's never going to happen unless you're, you know, a <laughs> prolific, you know, famous author, right. you know, like Coons and some of the other guys. Yeah, the sooner you uh, know that, the better. <laughs> yeah, I haven't even recouped the costs that it took to, to publish the thing. Yeah, but it's more important is the message. And you've said that. And the Amen. satisfaction is saying, you know what, to use the cliche again, you know, if it can help one person, if it can help several people. You've already heard that people say, hey, this is my story. Hey, reading this, this is me. This is us. Yes. Um, and, and so I'll just say again, if anyone's listening and interested, the move, the book is called From Sorrow to Amazing Grace, One Cop's Journey. And it is available on Amazon and other outlets, correct? It is. Amazon, yeah. Barnes & Noble, yeah. Target, Walmart Online. Okay, great, great. Yeah. Uh, somehow you wrote this book and you put it out there and you uh, got the attention of a movie producer and now it's a movie. How did that occur? Yeah. Um, well, uh, you and I both have a, a friend or an acquaintance in common, Jonathan Hickory. Yes. Uh, and Jonathan was actually inspirational uh, in me uh, writing my story. Um, I reached out to him before I even wrote the book. I read his book, Break Every Chain. And uh, so shout out to Jonathan. Yep, it's a great book. Um, yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, I thought, wow. Here's a currently active police officer who's still working as a police officer, and and he experienced a lot of the same things that I did, and he put it all out there in his book, and he's still working. Right. I'm like, if if he can do that, you know, and he's a young man. What is he? Maybe forty, something like that. Maybe he's got a, a few children, but young children. But yeah. yeah, he's he's maybe forty, but he's a young guy. Yeah. Right. Young family, young guy. A few years thought, to go wow, before his retirement, man, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, what, if this young man can do it, why can't I? I'm retired. I have nothing to lose, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, if it'll help just one person. Well, there you go. I mean, say in his, it sets off a, a chain, right? Because his book, his story inspired you to say, hey, you know what? And the same thing will occur. You would pretty much think that that's going to happen if it hasn't already. Right. Yeah. So my book was released about the time that Jonathan's movie was in production. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jason Campbell, the producer and CEO of JC Films, uh, caught wind of it. Um, we connected. Uh, I sent him a copy of 
mm, I think it was my manuscript actually that I had sent to him. He wanted it to be in Word format so that he could mark it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, the next time we spoke, he's like, "Hey, man, I read your book. I really want to do a film on on it. Would you be amenable to it?" I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. how does this work? So, <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. Right. Right. Yeah. And that'll be out in a couple of months this spring. March or, or I'm sorry, February or March. So, yeah, next month or, or March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll be uh, happy to give an update on that. Um, again, the, the movie's called One Cop's Journey, correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah. I figured it's easier than From Sorrow to Amazing Grace, One Cop's Journey. That's kind of long for a movie title. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, Wow. Well, so what are you doing now that this is out? You're doing a lot of speaking. You you visit um, uh, police departments, schools. Where do you speak at and share your story? Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a part-time adjunct um, at Northern Arizona University. Um, I lecture on uh, various technical law enforcement topics up there. Uh, there is a uh, it's a federal law enforcement training program that is hosted by NAU. Um, and without going into the finer details, I'll just tell you, I teach various subjects, but the one topic that is near and dear to my heart is uh, psychological survival for law enforcement. That's uh, an eight hour class that I teach up there. It used to only be a two hour course. And the program director reached out to me and said, "Hey." Yeah, uh, I you know, Mark Mark Messia. He's a great guy. He knows my story. He knows you know we know each other personally. He says, "Hey, will you rewrite the curriculum? These these students need more than just a two hour blurb of you know, hey, you know, if you get in a shooting, go work out afterwards. It's good for you. It's a lot more, more to in it. depth yeah. than that. Yeah. So." Um, I rewrote the curriculum. I turned in the two-hour block of instruction to an eight-hour block of instruction. And uh, I'm actually going up there, uh, well, in a week from today to teach that class. Um, So I I teach um, at my church. uh, An associate pastor of mine and I, we started a veteran and first responder fellowship. Um, uh, It's a Christ-centered Bible fellowship for... um, uh, current, active, and retired uh, public safety, you know, first responders and veterans. So we have this um, this group that meets every first and third Monday of uh, the month, of each month. I help facilitate um, those meetings. And um, let's see. Yeah, I, I do speaking. I do a lot of podcasts and radio interviews. I've been on television. Um, locally here um actually well down in the phoenix area i'm about an hour and a half northwest of phoenix and in the mountains um but um right now i'm writing another book uh a fellow reached out uh, to me his name is mario Oliveira, um and he's a medically retired somerville massachusetts police detective now you're a massachusetts guy yes i am yes do you recall were you in massachusetts 11 years ago i've been here pretty much my whole life okay yes do you recall the the incident where there was a somerville police officer who was 
uh, shot six times while trying to make an arrest about 11 years ago. And he died on the operating table and essentially was brought back to life. It was an amazing story. Uh, anyway, it's it, it's Mario Oliveira. Yeah, it's the story of, of Mario Oliveira. He reached out to me and asked me if I'd write the thing, and I wasn't interested <laughs> uh, because I wasn't looking to write another book. And um, I heard his story. I was captivated by it. Um, he sent me a video of him and the uh, surgeon who saved him. And he had a spiritual experience um, as he died on the operating table. It was just, it's an amazing story. So anyway, that's occupying a lot of my time these days. I'm, I'm trying to finish his story. Um, I, I'm a member of Civil Air Patrol. I'm a, a volunteer chaplain for Sons of the American Revolution and a bunch of different um, uh, volunteer organizations. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. You enjoy writing? Um, to a certain degree, <laughs> to a certain degree, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's, um, it's one of those things. Uh, like my first book was like totally God inspired, um, because I, I would, before I'd sit down and start typing, I would pray that God would direct my thoughts, um, to, to put the right words on paper and it just kind of flowed. Mm -hmm. But when you're telling another guy's story and you're, you're trying to put yourself in his position, it's a little bit different than writing your own story. Right. And, and yeah. I found, you know, there's always so much more to it than maybe when you think about the, the whole formatting and editing and all these other things that just have to make that story come alive, you know, but, but I, right. give, you, I give you credit because I know it's, it's a lot of work. Um, more than what is. meets the eye, that's for sure. You know, yeah, you would know. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, there's still a, a satisfaction and enjoyment to say, "Hey, this this story's out here. It's there." You know, and it, yeah, it took. It's shape. an important story. Yeah, yeah. Mario's yeah. story is an important story, and well, it needs to be told. Definitely, I'm going to look that up, and I look forward to to talking to you about that and how that's progressing. You know, uh, you know, we're we're getting close to the to the time, Keith. But uh, first, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on here. Uh, is there anything that we didn't get to talk about that uh, you want to share with everybody? Um, kind of gone through, but I want to make sure I don't forget to um, include everything that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my message for today is uh, for anyone who's suffering from post-traumatic stress you know, and or uh, substance or alcohol um, abuse is that you don't have to live in the past. You don't have to be stuck in the past um, and that there is a solution. There truly is a solution and, and that you are not the only one that are going through whatever it is that you're going through. Yeah. Uh, there's help available. There's people just frothing at the bit uh, to help you and to lead you and to guide you. And you can experience joy and peace. You really can. And, and going back to something you said earlier that I think it's worth reemphasizing is the perception of weakness, the stigma. And that was earlier, that was years ago that you, you felt that. But do you find that's changing? It is changing, but we need to break the stigma. Mm -hmm. We really do. 
Um, it is changing slowly, but we still have a lot of work ahead to do. And you find that's just still a, a challenging in, from what your experience is as to police officers in, in particular. You feel find it, that's it still is. a problem. Yeah. It is. A lot of my training officers when I was a new, uh, the new kid on the block, yeah. uh, several of them were uh, uh, Vietnam combat vets. Um, and that's how they dealt with their problems. You know, they were combat vets. They saw it all in Vietnam. And it's like, you know, we don't talk about those things. We just, you know, drink over it. Yeah. And that's not a solution. Trust me. Uh, no. And, you know, we've had a few guests and we're going to, in fact, Jonathan Hickory and I, we, we've been talking and he was going to join us a little while ago. He had to postpone it um, and we'll get him on in the next few weeks. But a couple months ago, we had one of our state senators, uh, John Belis, on and he was a retired military and he mentioned the same thing. He said that the, the PTSD and left untreated and the stigma and People like yourself, like Jonathan, like John Belis, who share their stories to hopefully get rid of, erase that stigma and allow people to say, you know what, if, if, if Keith, if Jonathan, if these guys can come out, then maybe that gives me the courage to step out too and seek help and um, rather than self-medicate, rather than make it worse. And so I think you're doing a lot to relieve that stigma and get rid of that perception of weakness. Well, with God's help, I'm, I'm trying, you know, um, back in the day, you know, if, if you sought help, some of the old timers would, you know, be, they'd sarcastically say, oh, give them a hug. And then they'd give you a swift kick in the butt and tell you to get back to work. Yeah. You know? And, you know, here's the irony. And I, John Vila said this. and I remember him saying, he says, it takes so much courage to step up. In fact, there's hardly a more courageous thing that you can do and to step up and say, I have a problem, I need to change. Yet, it's a perceived weakness, but it is actually extremely courageous to be able to step up. It's not an easy thing to do. Truly. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. yeah. Well, Keith, I really do appreciate you coming on, and I'd love to get some updates on the movie and what you're up to. I'd love to have you back again. Um so, again, um, thanks. And to everyone listening, again, um, stay tuned for, for Keith's story, One Cop's Journey. And, again, the book is From Sorrow to Amazing Grace, One Cop's Journey. And feel free to jump on our website, healingvoicesproject.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you again, Keith, for joining. We'll see you all real soon. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. <laughs>